The other thing is, you know what, I, you, you don't want to, but you can drop this and pick it up and it still works, even after you drop it. And so that's kind of the advantage there of a, uh, of a paper uh, Bible. And I like digital things, I really do. I, I, I use digital Bibles, but uh, I tell you what, I like the old-fashioned book and uh, written pages and, and things of that nature as well. And uh, I always tell people, or I used to tell people, and I still encourage people, you know what, there's nothing like walking into church carrying your Bible or walking out to your car. My neighbors see me, they walk, I walk out to my car, and they're looking at me, and, and, I'm, and it's obvious I'm not going to the park to play ball. Um, I, I, I mean, it's just obvious. And uh, I used to say that in Peru all the time because um, they, um, I love being able to carry the Bible. Proverbs, that's not the message. That has absolutely nothing to do with the message. That was free tonight, all right? So that's just free, uh, free advice. Proverbs chapter 27, and uh, we're going to continue in contentment in our, our series of verses here on contentment. We're going to cover the last uh, of what I think is the last of the verses that deal with contentment here in chapter 27, at least, that we've been covering. And look with me at verse number 20. Uh, we, we're going to look at three verses this evening, but 20, we're going to start off here, and uh, it's going to kind of be our, our, uh, our introduction, per se, and uh, really the, the underlying truth throughout all the other verses that we're going to look at. So Proverbs chapter 27, and verse number 20, the Bible says, Hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied. What a, what a phenomenal verse in all reality. And uh, let's stop and let's pray this evening. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we have to look into your word. And God, read your word and study your word. And God, as we think about contentment tonight... God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And God, certainly we need to learn uh, contentment in our life. And the world certainly uh, is opposed to the idea of contentment. God, I pray that you would just again touch hearts, help each and every Christian, Father, to, be, uh, to learn contentment uh, in this life. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this idea, the Bible says there in verse 20 again, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Uh, looking for something better. Uh, that's kind of the idea of that verse. And, uh, and, and the fact that your eyes cannot be satisfied. Let me say this, I was kind of thinking about this, and in all reality, if you think about eating a meal and being full, you, you can be satisfied physically. Uh, man, you eat food and your belly gets full and you're all done. And we talked about that a little bit last, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, uh, about you know, not wanting to have dessert or not wanting to eat more because, man, you're satisfied, you're full, it's too much. But think about this, the Bible says here in verse 20 that the eyes of man are never satisfied. That, that idea is that you can never have too much. And in all reality as well, uh, that, that it will leave you empty. Um, the idea of lusting after something is the most obvious area of this verse. Uh, and that would be pornography. Uh, and the problem with this is it's the battle for the mind. 
And the problem is that it dominates our thought life, and it's constantly in our country, it is constantly, and around the world really, uh, it is constantly put before our eyes. Uh, it is in advertisement. It is all over the uh, everywhere you look, and it's constantly. And, uh, and so we need to understand that, hey, the eyes of man are never satisfied. But I, I don't want, it's not just pornography. Uh, I tell you what, this verse applies just as much to riches. Uh, people look at stuff and they say, man, I wish I had, uh, we become discontented when you're driving around. And the other day I uh, took a wrong turn and I, I ended up in some, some back neighborhood, I don't know. And it was a nice neighborhood. I mean, it was, it was one that you want to get lost in, okay? It's not one that you didn't want to get lost in. I was okay. But uh, I was driving around, and man, I was like, man, those are a lot of big houses. And you look around, and you see these big houses, and you think, man, I wish I had a bigger house. Because the eyes of man are never satisfied. Or you're driving your car along, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, whatever your fancy is, a big fancy truck goes by. And you're like, wow. And it's, I mean, it's like, Whoa, I mean, it's, it's one of them kind of trucks. And you're like, man, I wish I had that truck. And the eyes of man are never satisfied. We are never contented with what we have, especially when we see other things and we say, man, I wish I had that. And, uh, and we tend to look at other things. We look at uh, nicer cars or even a better job. I wish I had that guy's job or a nicer home or uh, maybe a position. And, and we say, man, I wish I had that guy's position or uh, something of that nature. And the fact of the matter is we are just not satisfied or content with what we have in this life. And it's a problem. It really is. And our society really drives it. Uh, save your spot here in Proverbs chapter, chapter 27. And go with me to Proverbs chapter 4, just for a moment. And I've preached this message uh, more than once. I, of course, we pre I preached it here as well. Uh, but it, back in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20, I want you to see these three things. We're not going to uh, I am not going to go through the whole message, but I am going to give you all the, uh, the idea of this portion of Scripture. Proverbs 4 and verse number 20. And he says this, My son, attend to my words. Proverbs 4.20 Incline thine ears unto my saying. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. In verses 20 and 21, he really gives us two different um, gates or doors that go directly into your heart. The one is the eyes. He says, attend unto my word. And then in verse 21, he says, let them not depart from their, thine eyes. In other words, hey, we are to keep the word of God before our eyes, constantly coming in. Why? Because in verse 20, uh, 21, he tells us at the end of that, he says, keep them in the midst of thine heart. And so one of the doors that goes to your heart is the eye. The other one in verse number 20 is uh, the ears. He says, attend. Well, you could really use that for, uh, for looking or for listening. He says, attend to my word, incline thine ear unto my saints. And so the idea is that the word of God would come into our ears and the word of God would come into our eyes. And when it comes into those two doors that we have, it goes straight to our heart. The verse following that, he says in verse 23, he says, 
keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now let's correlate that back to the eyes of man are never satisfied. In other words, uh, you can live your entire life in this world and you can constantly be uh, barraged with temptation that's placed before you, whether financial, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, sexual pleasure, whether it's uh, a prominence in some kind of position of having a, a prominent position or some other form, but you're looking at that and you're saying, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I wish I had more. And it's a problem that goes on. And in verse chapter 4 and verses 20 down through 23, he gives us the idea that, hey, if we're keeping our eyes focused on the Word of God and we're keeping our ears hearing the Word of God, hey, then we won't have time to listen to the philosophy and the ideas of the world that they're constantly putting into our head. Matter of fact, the verses after verse 23, he tells us that uh, uh, we're not going to go there for sake of time, but he says, hey, don't listen to the world. Let not thy foot depart to the right or the left. Be careful that your eyes don't that your eyes look straight ahead and you're not looking off to the sides of the world and that you're not listening to the philosophy of the world because that will go in your life and it will affect your heart and it's a heart issue of contentment that's what the all boils down to and the fact that the eyes of man are never satisfied is because you'll constantly look and you'll constantly uh, see all these things that you don't have and, uh, and you will become discontented with what you do have. So the next time that you see a, a bigger house that you want, or a nicer, newer car or truck that you want, I want you to think this. I want you to think, I'm sure glad I don't have that guy's payment. That's what you really need to think. We drove by a house, I don't, it was a long time ago, and and my wife's like, that's a nice house. I said, yeah, sure is. I said, aren't you glad you don't have to clean that? <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to do their yard work. Looking at it the other way and saying, man, I'm content with what I have. Instead of looking out and saying, man, I wish I had more than what I actually have. And so contentment is that idea of looking and, and, and not, not desiring, not even looking, but keeping our eyes focused on the Word of God and keeping our ears focused on the Word of God. Go with me to Proverbs, back to our text, chapter 27, and let's look at verse number 8. And so the idea of, of verse number 20, uh, the Bible says, and I could say a lot more about verse 20, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. What an important verse. But look with me at verse number 8. We find in verse number 8, contentment as well, it says, As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Now as we look at this, this verse, uh, a bird, the Bible gives us an illustration of a bird that wandereth from her nest. What does a bird do at a nest? Well, a bird will take and, and it will create that nest and it will lay it all around with sticks depending on what kind of bird it is. If it's a chicken, uh, if it's a hawk, if it's a, uh, uh, you know, just a little robin, they'll make different kind of nests. But they will make that nest for the purpose of laying their eggs in that nest. 
And then they will stay there and they will guard those eggs so that something doesn't eat them and they'll keep them warm and they'll only leave for a very short time and then come back so they can get some food or do something and then they come right back and they're sitting there and they're guarding those eggs. When those eggs finally come to hatch, they'll take and they'll nurture those new little birds and they'll feed them and they'll take care of them and they'll clean up the nest around them. And, and so the idea of a, a bird not leaving its nest is the idea of a responsibility. And it says here, as a bird that wandereth from her nest. What happens to birds that wander from their nest? Well... Any, any amount of things could happen. The eggs could get too cold. They don't hatch. Uh, some critter could come by and steal the eggs uh, from that nest. And so there's lots of things that could take place that are very, uh, very damaging to that nest. But I, I thought, I was thinking of this, and I want us to think about this thought. The, the verse that we have here is, As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. And I want us to understand this, that we need to have contentment in our place. Contentment in our place. There's a... There's a, uh, and I'm not going to go this direction, but I am telling you in society today, there is a, uh, a real drive to mix up the roles between masculinity and femininity. femininity. I can't say that word. But there is a real drive to mix, and it's been going on for years. It's not new. It has been, they have been working on this literally for years to try... Uh, to try and push and mix those things. Can I tell you something? Uh, that The Bible says that God made man and God made woman in the beginning. That's the way He designed us. And there is nothing wrong with being a man. And there is nothing wrong with being a woman. It's discontentment to say, well, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be what God made me. Well, God made you who you are. Be a man if you're a man. Be a woman if you're a woman. There is nothing wrong with that. And by the way, we're, we're different by design. We're different by nature. One of the things I love when my, because um, I, I have twins, and, and having boy-girl twins, I am telling you, I, it, I absolutely loved it. I mean, they were little. I'm talking one. You, and some of you guys know, you, you were here, you saw them. And, uh, and it was, you throw a car and a doubt on the and you know what's going to happen the boy grabs the car and the girl grabs the doll happened all the time and why is that well because i don't know god designed us that way i don't know but i know this that hey uh god has designed us to be who we are uh but i don't want to look at that i want to look at this idea of being content in our place uh what about the draw to wander there is a draw to wander from our place. There's no doubt about it. You think about the bird and you think about the illustration. What is the draw that would draw that bird out of its nest that would cause it to leave where it should be? What is the draw for man that would draw man out of his place and keep him from being where he is supposed to be? Uh, the more I thought about that, I thought uh, it's certainly temptation. The Bible says in the book of James, verse number, chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away, watch this, of his own lust and enticed. 
And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Can I tell you this? That every person has their own desires and their own lusts, and they may be different than somebody else. Some people are, are extremely tempted by alcohol. Some people aren't bothered by it at all. Some people are tempted by, uh, by some and, and other things uh, don't bother them at all. Every person has their own lust, and the Bible would tell us that. It says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. I'll give you an illustration in fishing. You know what fishing is? Fishing is nothing more than the art of disguising a hook so the fish grabs a hold of it, and you can hook them. That's all it is. Some fish will bite on a worm. And you can just take a worm and you can thread it on that hook and you can hide that hook and leave that worm dangling off there and you throw that out there in the water and it just sits there and that worm dangles and that fish sees that and he's, one fish will come by and he'll see that and he say, worms, I don't like worms. He'll continue swimming. But that other fish come by, worms, man, I love worms. He'll snag that thing up and he'll grab it. Uh, other fish, uh, they might like fish. And so you cut up, a, you catch a little fish and then you cut that up or you get a minnow and you put that thing on the hook and you throw that out there and, and one might come by and say, man, I wish that was a worm. He won't touch it. But another fish come by and he say, man, a minnow, I love minnows. He'll snag that thing up and grab it. It is the art of deceiving a fish so that they don't realize that there's a hook there and that when they grab onto that thing, they are hooked and they are caught. Think about this. Satan is an expert master deceiver. Can I tell you another thing? He's been at this for 6,000 years. He's had to study man. Now, Satan is not all-knowing, but he's very smart. and He's very intelligent. And he could spend 6,000 years studying a man. He can, he can figure out in just a matter of seconds, oh, I know what makes that guy fall. Oh, I know what makes that lady fall. Oh, I know what their temptation is. Oh, I can tell you what their problem is. And it doesn't take them very long. Uh, he knows the right bait to dangle in front of your life to get you to latch on to that hook and to fall in your life. He is a master deceiver. And so the idea of being drawn away uh, to, to, uh, to wander is often the idea of being lured out through temptation. And it's based on our own desires. It's based on what we like. It's based on what uh, our, our faults and our problems are. And listen, many times we'll look at our own life, we'll look at our own situation, and oftentimes when we are discontented with what we have in our life, we'll think, hey, the pastures are greener on the other side of the fence. And they're really not. Somebody said this one time. They said the, the grass always grows greener over the leach field off the sewer tank. That's true. If you don't know what a leach field is, it's the sewer tank holds all the sewage and then the water drains off into a leach field and the grass is always really green over that leach field. But you think about what's growing and it's kind of gross. It is. Listen, that's how the devil works. 
He will, he will lure you with all kinds of garbage and all kinds of sewage and all kinds of rotten things that will absolutely destroy your life. And I'm telling you this, we need to be careful looking out at other places and saying, well, it's greener over there, or that looks like a better opportunity. Hey, hey, we better learn to be content with where we are because so many people, they wander away from their nest. They go to another place, and you know what they find? It's not any greener over there. The payment's larger, or the problems are bigger. And we need to learn contentment in our life and, and not be looking uh, for, for other things. There's a, a draw to wander. There's not only a draw to wander, I want you to notice that there is a danger of wandering. I'll give you two il illustrations this evening. Abraham Lincoln, when he was president, uh, there was a fellow named John Fer Frederick Parker. He was one of the original officers uh, that was, when the uh, Metropolitan Police Department was for Washington, D.C., was established in 1861, John Fre Frederick Parker. And he had a very poor work record. Matter of fact, he had been written up many, several times for sleeping on the job and for being drunk on the job, and he was not a, uh, a very honorable work officer uh, in that time. As a matter of fact, he had been assigned to guard the booth of President Abraham Lincoln on April 14, 1865, when President, when President Lincoln had gone to the theater to see a, a play. And, and during the play, he was standing guard, but when an intermission came up, Parker and several other men left the theater and went to a nearby tavern to get drinks. And as a result, when John Wilkes Booth arrived at the presidential box, there was no security president and, or present, and assassinating President Abraham Lincoln went unchallenged because there was nobody there. What happened? He, was, he wandered from his place. He was supposed to be guarding the president. He was supposed to be at his post, but instead he wandered away uh, to a tavern to get drinks. And what I'm saying is, listen, when you wander from your place, when you wander from where you're supposed to be, there is a danger that will stick with you the rest of your life. And oftentimes, you will carry guilt in your life. You know, it probably would have been better, honestly, for John Frederick Parker if he had been shot that night trying to guard President Lincoln. Instead, for the rest of his life, he had to carry with him the guilt that President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on his watch because he did not do his job. What a, what a, what a responsibility and weight for him to carry in his life. Joshua chapter 7, we won't go there for sake of time, but in the book of Joshua chapter 7, uh, you remember that uh, Joshua and the nation of Israel had gone up against Ai, and they were going to attack the city of Ai. And, and you'll remember that, uh, that during that time, when they went up, they just went up and they said, hey, we're going to go. There's not many people. That's a small city. We're going to go up. We're going to attack it. And the Bible says that they were defeated because there was sin in the camp. And so they got that all squared away in Joshua chapter 7. And, and in Joshua chapter 8, uh, God gives the green light to Joshua. He says, okay, it's fine now. All the sin in the camp is taken care of. I want you to go up against Ai. 
And so now uh, Joshua has designed this idea. I don't know if God gave it to him or, uh, or how it came about, but Joshua says, hey, here's what we're going to do. And he takes a band of soldiers and he goes up to Ai and he hides them beside Ai and says, hey, here's where I want you guys to hide, and you just wait. Nobody's to know you're here. And so the soldiers are up there hiding, and another band of soldiers, they go up to attack Ai. And, uh, and the plan was, hey, we're going to go up against Ai, and when they come out to attack us, uh, let's turn and run like, hey, they're starting to beat us again. And so that's what they did. The soldiers went up against Ai, and they started fighting Ai, and, uh, and it wasn't long before, hey, they, they, they turned and they fled. And Ai thought, hey, we are defeating them like we did last time. And the men all were drawn away from the city, and they went after Israel to attack it. And when the men got far enough away from the city where, where uh, the other soldiers were lying in wait, the other soldiers came in, and they attacked Ai. And they totally decimated Ai. And the Bible says uh, that they started a big fire in the city. And the men who were drawn out into the field, uh, they, they, the other men started fighting back again. And, and they started to get defeated. And they turned around and looked. And they saw that their city was on fire and had been attacked. And they realized they had been outwitted. And their city was destroyed. And there was nothing left to fight for. And all of them died. The Bible says that they were left. And what happens is they, they were drawn away from their place where they belonged. They should have been at their city. They should have been at least something guarding the city. But they got drawn away from their city and left their city wide open for attack. And listen, when you are not in place, you are leaving a wide open door for others to be attacked. There's a danger of wandering. There's a danger to yourself. There's a danger to those that, that you care about. There's a danger uh, to wandering away. And you say, well, okay, I see that. I see, the, uh, I see the, um, the draw to wander. I see the danger to wander. Let's go back to our text. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Lastly, at least under the contentment of your place, is deny yourself of wandering. Somebody wrote this down. He said these three things about wandering from your place. He said, number one, love your own nest and stay in it. Love your own nest, stay in it. Number two, keep the nest clean and make your home happy. Number three, no nest is so good no nest is so good for you as your own, and therefore do not seek to change it. It's basically being content with your nest. And you say, well, what's the place? Listen, the place, you can take the place and you can apply it to a gazillion homes. The first and most obvious place that you would apply contentment is your home. Listen, boy, there is a draw to break up families and break up homes in America like you would not believe. And discontentment is largely at fault for a lot of it. And our society is, it wants people to be discontented, wants people to desire this and desire that. It's marketing. We've talked about that and, and not have enough. And, and, and so much so that, listen, families have become discontented. Your family is a place that you should not wander from. 
your, your church uh, or, or your relationship with the Lord. Listen, the world will pull and pull and want you. Uh, you'll look out and you say, man, uh, especially young people, you'll look out and you'll say, man, they're having so much fun and, 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 uh, and my friends are all going doing this on Wednesday night and, and Saturday night or Sunday night. And, and listen, your place is to be with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Guard your life. Because, listen, it's not greener on the other side of the fence. You don't know the headaches they bear. You don't know the problems they put up with. You don't know the guilt that they carry around in their life. And what I'm saying is, listen, uh, our place, we need to be content about the place we're at in our life. Contentment in the place. Look with me at verse number 18, and we'll look at two more things. Not only contentment with the place, but I want you to notice in chapter 27 and verse number 18, the Bible says this, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. The first part of that, as we look at that, uh, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. We had a fig tree in Italy, and uh, the first year... The figs were terrible. Uh, matter of fact, they were small. They were dry. They fell out of the tree. And, uh, and, I, and, and, and somebody asked me, he said, you know what those are? I had no idea. I'd never seen a fig before in my life other than a fig newton. And it didn't look like a fig newton. And so I said, I don't know what it is. He said, those are figs. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah. So he, he picked one up and, and, and he just took a bite out of it. I'm like, Really? So I picked one up, and I took a bite out of it, and it wasn't that good. He said, oh, these figs aren't that good. He said, here's what you need to do. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to trim this back. You need to water your tree. You need to take care of it. You need to do all of this work. So the next year, you know what I did? I, I don't remember what I did, to be honest with you, but I did whatever he told me to do. I trimmed it back. I made sure the tree was watered, and, and the next year, those figs, when they grew out, Man, they were plump, and they looked good, and, and I grabbed one off of the tree, and I took a bite of it, and man, it was sweet. I like figs. I like fig newtons, too. So I thought, fig newtons are good. Figs must be good. So I, I, I took a bite of it, and it was sweet, and it was good. But you know what? That didn't come overnight. It was a long process that it came about. And, and I think that first part of it, in that verse, he's giving us an illustration, albeit maybe an illustration that we're a little more removed from, but, but certainly an illustration that we can understand that whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. There's responsibility that is to be done in order to eat the fruit thereof. I mean, you think about a tree, uh, some of those trees we had, we had a uh, fig tree, we had lemon trees, we had... Uh, I, orange trees, we had several trees in our yard and they were all fruit trees because the, Ita the Italian mentality is uh, why grow grass in your yard? You can't eat it. And so uh, there was like no grass in our yard, honestly. And, uh, and there were a whole bunch of trees in our yard and you could eat of every tree that was in our yard. It bared fruit of some sort that you could eat. We had olive trees. We had all kinds of trees in our yard. And, uh, and there was almost no grass. But, uh, but the idea is, hey, you need to plant something that you can eat of. And so uh, we had all those trees. And, and learning, I learned that there's several responsibilities that come with trees. Uh, You've got to water them. 
And then you gotta, you got to uh, take and, and weed out the branches. Those olive trees were overgrown, and I had to learn how to cut all the olive branches out and, and make it look better because it had not been tended to in and, 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 and quite some time. And, uh, and then finally, uh, after you water and after you take care of the trees and you tend to it, you know what there is? There's waiting and lots of waiting before you finally get something off of that tree. And the idea here is the responsibility and the contentment in our part. You say tending to a tree is, is not very um, rewarding or, or maybe enjoyable or, or not very important. And it's not. But as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, a lot of times in our life, it's the little things that God gives us that we're to be responsible for. And it may not seem like something big, but yet it's very important. And the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, as required in stewards that a man be found faithful. In Luke 16, 10, it says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And listen, sometimes it might feel like you're doing something that is insignificant, or it's little, or it's unimportant, but listen, being faithful in those little things, being faithful in watering the fig tree, being faithful in trimming back the branches, being faithful in tending to that thing, uh, will yield some kind of reward for you. You say, man, it's just a little class of, of, of little kids. It's just the nursery. They don't even understand. Uh, it's just uh, uh, cleaning the church, or it's just the sound system, or it's just one special, or it's just this, or it's just that, or it's just the bus, or uh, it's just a little thing. Listen, it's those little things that if we're faithful in those, that will yield fruit over time. We need to be faithful in little. Not only that, I was thinking the little things, but I think also it's definitely a picture of, of, of something that is uh, physically rewarding. Faithful in the little things is important in the big picture. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3.9, he says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Listen, it's a biblical principle to give to the Lord. And it's something little. I remember my parents teaching me when I was young, and, uh, and, and maybe they'd give me, uh, I don't remember, I'll just say a dollar, and they said, hey, uh, 10 cents of that belongs to the Lord. And you know what? For a child, getting a dollar, 10 cents is nothing. It's easy to take and give that to the Lord. And what a great opportunity to teach something that's practical, just like this verse says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And we're talking about this fig tree, and, and it was not uncommon in Bible times for them to take and, and take their, their first fruits, their physical fruits, if they farmed corn, then they'd bring the corn to the, uh, to the temple. And if they had uh, vineyards, then they'd bring the grapes to the temple. And if they had uh, uh, other things, they would bring of their first fruits. It was a physical thing that they would bring to the Lord. And it may seem small and it may seem insignificant. Listen, it is a, uh, it is a principle in the Word of God that's important to God. He says you be faithful in small things, in those little things, that other people may not see. And He'll bless you in those little things. We see the responsibility. I want you to see the reward. Look with me in that same verse. 
Proverbs 27 and verse 18. Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. Listen, you'll be rewarded. That God will bless you. There is time and time again. Uh, listen, the blessings of God, sometimes we look at the blessings of God and we think, well, they're physical blessings. They're not always physical blessings. Sometimes uh, they're things that you physically cannot see. Maybe they're, uh, they're things that you don't even realize or recognize. Maybe God protects you and, and, and keeps you safe through something that could have been a, a disastrous problem. Maybe God keeps your vehicle running longer. Maybe God makes your groceries go just a little bit longer and you would never see that. I don't know what all the blessings of God entail, but I do know this, that God is real and His blessings are real and He blesses those that live in accordance to the principles of the Word of God. That I do know. And so the Bible says here uh, in verse 18, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. And it's an illustration for us to the second part. It's also a very, uh, very good illustration. He says, So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. Not only do we have to have contentment in the place where we belong, we have to have contentment in our part and what we're doing because sometimes it does seem insignificant. Sometimes it doesn't seem as important. But nonetheless, we ought to be faithful in what we're doing. And then they, we need to have contentment this last one's a doozy, ready? In patience. Yep, I said it. None of us like it. And I'm just as guilty as you are. I heard a preacher years ago. He said, we live in a microwave society. I think that was when the microwave came out. And it's true. We, everything has to be instant. Everything has to be now. I mean, you pull through the drive-thru, and I'm guilty of this. If there's three cars, I'm going by. I'm like, I, I ain't waiting in that line. I, I don't feel like waiting. I'm going to go. We don't want to wait around. We don't want to be patient. We don't want to wait. But listen, the Bible is very clear that if we'll continue, look at what it says there in verse 18. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. The Bible says is this way in Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen, it's easy to get weary in well-doing. It's easy to get impatient in well-doing. It's easy to, uh, to, to be involved in ministry in the church and, and say, man, I, I'm involved, but I just don't see the fruit that's coming from this. Sometimes we just need to be patient. We need to be faithful. We just need to keep plugging away at the little things that God has given us to do. And listen, sometimes we might not see a reward maybe in our lifetime. We does not negate our responsibility to be faithful, 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 and wait on our Master. And I can promise you this, someday you're going to stand before Him in heaven. And you can say, God, I did the best I could with what I was given. And I put my time in. And God can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You may turn to the joy of the Lord. To be faithful and patient in ministry. The Bible says in Colossians 4.17, and say to Archippus, 
take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Patience, contentment and patience. Contentment in our part. And contentment in our place. Boy, we need contentment. The Bible says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. May we be content in the place that God has us. May we be content in the part that God has us doing. May we be content being patient, waiting on the Lord to bring about whatever it is that He wants to do with us. Sometimes that's the hardest part, is waiting on the Lord. But there's great blessings if we'll wait on Him and allow Him to do His part and allow Him to provide. And the Bible says that there'll be honor for Him that waiteth. So as we think about contentment, let's not be discouraged. Let's be content with what God has for us in this life. And not be wandering from our nest. Not be looking, well, the grass looks greener over there. It might be. They might have put fertilizer on it. Not looking at the other things, but saying, God, I'm content with my part, I'm content with my place, and I'm content with being patient and waiting on you. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, contentment. God, I think of that song, prone to wander, prone to leave the one I love. God, we need your help being content in this life, being faithful where you've placed us, being faithful in the part that you've given us, and being faithful and patiently waiting on you. God, we don't like to wait. We're impatient in nature. God, help us be contented in following you in our lives. Help us not to be, help us not to give in to the temptation of this world. How it would lure us and try to draw us away. Help us to learn to be content. We'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Man, as the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, contentment. We need to learn contentment. spoken to your heart, the altar is open.
we'll bring our invitation to a close. Just real quick, just a couple announcements. You see the church is decorated. Praise the Lord. We got decorations back here and out there and different places as you came in as well. And uh, VBS starts tomorrow. And uh, so we're excited about it. And you say, well, um, maybe you can't help. Maybe you can't come. Maybe you can't participate.